DLNSRadio.com, the home of Internet Sports Talk Radio. Legends are made in the NFL, and the quest for the Lombardi Trophy continues. Brady moving and looking and has time, and then throws, and that is caught for a touchdown. Intercepted by Wilford. Vince Wilford with a game changer. You're listening to Patriots Beat. Two minutes, second down and six. Brady, quick throw, and complete. first down. Right here on CLNSRadio.com. Well, good afternoon, New England Patriots fans, and welcome to CLNS Radio's Patriots Beat. I am your host, Jeff Kane, at Boston Fat Guy on Twitter. Of course, Bob Snowden, at Snowden. Bob will be joining us, and you can follow along live at, at CLNS Radio or on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans. 347-215-7771 is the call-in number. we got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking lots of different topics. Uh, number one on our list, will, of course, be the NFL Draft. We'll be joined by Mike Loiko of NEPatriotsDraft.com. He is the lead scout and editor for that site. He has got a phenomenal draft book that I uh, downloaded and purchased the other day. I will uh, be tweeting out that link shortly for anyone who is a draft nick. We have the NFL schedule that uh, went uh, came out on Wednesday, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Of course, Bill Belichick running a half a marathon yesterday. Can the man not do anything? He can do everything, that Bill Belichick. He's just crazy. It, it's unreal. I just love it. Anyways, Patriots Beat is brought to you today by the Boston Sports Connection. Check it out Tuesday night, 7.30 p.m. Sean Backey's show. It's a great time. I know he's got some good things coming up this week. I believe he's got some uh, uh, bloggers coming on from the Detroit, not the Detroit, but the Montreal Canadiens as the Bruins, of course. Knocked out the Detroit Red Wings yesterday and now face their bitter rival, the Montreal Canadiens. But let's talk about a little football here. So I'll bring in my main man, Bob Snowden. Bob, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I just wanted to mention real quickly, um, have you got your right hat on this week? Because I know you've written NBA. You've written, you know, you've handled the, the post-game shows for the Bruins. And now here you are back on the Patriots. Which, which hat are you wearing today? No, we're talking Patriots. I gotta, you know, I gotta wear the Patriots hat. The Patriots neon Budweiser sign is lit up. I got my, uh, I got my Patriots greatest dad shirt on that I got last uh, last Father's Day. So I think, I think we're talking Patriots today. Okay, uh, I got my, to... <laughs> I got my Brady shirt on, so I'm, I'm ready to roll. I almost, uh, I made a little mistake yesterday during the post game show for the Bruins by calling the Detroit Red Wings the Detroit Lions. I think at one point, <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't call them the Pistons and start talking. Uh, Dennis Rodman and and, uh, and Isaiah Thomas, but <laughs> Bill Lambeer. But oh man, it's been a crazy couple of weeks here at Sealess Radio. But it's a good thing we got some great, uh, great, great stuff. But Bob, what are you thinking? Draft coming up, schedule. I know you made fun of me this week about getting excited about the schedule. Let's talk about it. Well, I mean, the, I understand being excited about when teams play. But well, we already knew what the schedule was. It was just my interest was the draft, uh, the bye week, and were things going to level out a little bit? And the bye week, the Patriots have been so lucky in where they've gotten their bye weeks, and they were again this year. Many, myself included, were thinking mm, they'll probably be like number four or number five week, uh, which is not good. The, the later it is, the better off you are. And sure, in the heck, they week they they ended up a week ten. 
the Broncos, as an example, when you look at their schedule, they've got a bye week the earliest it can be. It's in week four, which is terrible. That's not when you want a bye week. So I was interested in that, and like you, I you know I went down my little list and picked which games we should win and which games we should lose. But I already knew who we were playing. So and and, and we were kidding you both, uh, you know, Patriots Gazette and I were kind of saying how you know boring it was to talk about the schedule, but it's not. <laughs> they do have a uh, a favorable buy this year, and they've had it the last couple years, sandwiched right between. Uh, Denver here and the Indianapolis Colts away at Lucas Oil Stadium. Um, it's it's pretty good. It's not bad at all. The fact that they got that uh, they got that bye um, in Week Ten. Of course, they open up the season against Miami Week One. Miami, ah, uh, you know, I don't know what to think about them. I, I've looked at what the Bills have done this year. I looked at what the Jets have done this year. I think both of them have improved. We saw what Miami did at the end of last year by losing three in a row when they could have just easily won one game and made the playoffs. I I wonder about Miami. They've had a, a change at offensive coordinator where Mike Sherman is no longer the offensive coordinator. Of course, he was the offensive coordinator for Ryan Tannehill at uh, Texas A&M. And then, uh, of course, um, they've changed their offensive line coach. So I wonder what's going to happen. They're starting to talk all this, you know, oh, up-tempo speed, Chip Kelly type of offense. But uh, I just don't see it happen. I don't I don't understand. I mean, they, they signed no Sean Moreno. I mean – Moreno did torch the Patriots for 200-something yards uh, against the Patriots in, in that Denver game, but that was one of those things. It was like, all right, you want to beat us? Run it. And uh, that's what they did. So, I don't yeah, know. And they, I, you know, I think the Eastern Division, and I, I mentioned this to you earlier, I think it's going to be much stronger. I, I think all four teams are better than they were last year. Buffalo is the one that I, I – every year I look at them as the sleeper. And kind of think, man, they made some pretty good moves, and they're the you know the the team that everybody kind of puts last. But but if if everything fell together properly for them, they could be a decent team this year. As could the Jets, and God, I hate to say that, uh, and Miami. So I, I don't think there's any automatic wins when we're head to head against our division this year. Unlike the past few years where you went into every game thinking, okay, blowout time. Didn't always do it, but you went in thinking that. I don't I don't think I don't see a lot of blowouts in the division this year. Jeff, you there? Yeah, I'm here. I just didn't oh. hit the uh, unmute button. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm falling asleep here. I've been doing so much lately. <laughs> well, I was, you know, I paused and then I thought maybe mine was messed up, and I went over and looked, and no, oh, I was great radio. <laughs> the one thing I was going to say about the uh, the Patriots schedule is the fact that the first uh, the first four weeks they don't play anyone that has a you know a huge quarterback threat. I mean, I don't find that Miami's quarterback threat you know is is anything to to worry about with uh, with Ryan Tannehill. And, I mean, yeah, sure, they got Mike Wallace, but I'm all right with that. Minnesota, we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. Oakland's Matt Schaub, and, of course, Kansas City, uh, they go up against Alex Smith, who, who's a system type of quarterback. So those first four weeks when uh, Brandon Browner is, uh, is out of the lineup serving his suspension, I'm not worried about it as much as, uh, as I would be had they had Denver and Indianapolis and Detroit, you know, the first few weeks. Yeah, Tannehill scares me a little bit in that first game, and it's at Miami. 
Um, and I think they'll win it, but it's not – I mean, that's the hottest time of the year uh, weather-wise. So, you know, Miami has advantage in that first game with it being at Miami. Um, my preference is always that they, they flip-flop, but, it, but it's kind of nice because Miami has to come to New England in December which is obviously a big advantage for the, for the Patriots when they play in Week 15. So I, Miami, of those first four games, Miami's the only one that worries me uh, going into the first game of the year. Like I said, I think the Pats will win it. Kansas City worries me a little bit. It's on the road. Um, you're right. I mean, from a quarterback standpoint, you don't panic over playing Kansas City. But personally, I have that as my first loss. They win the first three, and then they lose at Kansas City. Uh, before then coming home. They play, you know, three of their first four games are on the road. And that's a tough, tough start for just because you're on the road, no matter who you're playing. Oh, exactly. Well, Mike Loiko will be joining us fairly shortly, but there's a man on the line right now that he's been among the missing. He leaves me in the lurch yesterday. He says he's a Patriots fan. I guess we ought to bring him on. His name is Patrick Shankauer, host of the Shankauer Majority Show and supposed host of the Bruins postgame show with me. Shanky, what's going on? What's going on, boys? It's been far too long. I've, I've missed you all, and I figured I'd give you, you guys a call and talk football for the first time in, in a few months. Well, you would have enjoyed it. Um, was it last week or the week before when uh, one of our guests was, or, or we were talking your favorite Patriot player of all time, uh, Mr. McCourty, and, and oh boy. people were kind of putting him down a little bit. So, so we were. In fact, I mentioned to you on that show that, that it's a good thing you weren't there because we probably would have had an explosion. You know, Bob. Here's here's the problem with people, and uh, I got in a little bit of a, of a scuffle on Easter Sunday. People look at Devin McCourty, uh, a Pro Bowl his rookie year, a two-time All-Pro selection of the NFL, uh, seven interceptions his rookie year as a cornerback. Uh, he's called one of the one of the better safeties in the league at this point. People just look at that second year in the league when, when you had that rough uh, sophomore season as a cornerback, and they really judge him on that. When you, when you look at it, ever since he's moved to the safety position, the big home run ball that offenses were getting against the Patriots back in 2010, 2011, that's been eliminated. You don't really see that uh, anymore. I think with the additions of Revis and Browner, when Browner's done with his four-game suspension, adding in Dennard and Logan Ryan, I think you can see Devin McCourty take that step and become the best free safety in the league. And you and you really see him uh, with a secondary like this. You'll see Belichick, I, I think, blitzing more, sending more more pass rushes, pass rushes like he like he's known to do. And they'll let McCourty be the Ed Reed of their defense, roam around, and he'll be the greatest free safety of all time. So I mean, people can talk, but. We'll let McCourty do his work this season. He'll show you why he's the greatest. Well, excellent, Patrick. Mike Loiko from Any Patriots Draft is joining us right now. So if you don't mind, I'm going to place you on hold. We'll bring you back on, my friend. Uh, yeah, Jeff, I'm not really um, in that status to be over people. So just put me back, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll be back when you're ready for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, joining us on the line right now is Mike Loiko. He is the head scout and editor for Any Patriots Draft. Com, and you can find him on Twitter at NEPD underscore, underscore Loico. Mike, what's going on? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on today. We love having you on talking a little NFL draft. And First thing i got to say to you is you have a phenomenal draft guide that I purchased this morning. We'll be sending out that link. How long did that take to put together? 
I mean, it took hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, from the minute I got back from the Senior Bowl at the end of January, um, I worked on it probably at least five, six hours every single day, some days much longer than that. Um, just to make the templates for each page, you know, I started doing that back in the fall. Um, I had it all set up really um, in January, and filling in those templates takes a long, long time, watching the film um, and formatting it and editing it to fit um, into a PDF form. It takes a long time just in itself. So it was hundreds and hundreds of hours. Um, it's tremendously rewarding, though, when you're finished. It's a great feeling to be finished, and I've received um, some pretty good feedback on it so far. So I'm happy with the way it came out, and I definitely appreciate the support um, of the people that have bought it. Well, and I noticed uh, worldwide, this isn't just the United I mean, you were mentioning the other day that almost every country had been represented, and now it looks like you're down to maybe one left. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the only continent, well, well, if you want to count Antarctica, I don't think anybody from Antarctica is going to buy it. So I think um, Africa, the continent of Africa, hasn't been represented yet. So if anybody from Egypt or South Africa or one of those countries that, you know, utilizes technology is interested in buying it. We can cross them off the list, hopefully. But, yeah, the, the feedback's been great. Um, you know, it, it was a great – it took a lot of time, but and at times it didn't seem like I'd ever finish it, but tremendously rewarding. I'm happy with the way it came out. And, you know, hopefully um, somebody important in an NFL front office or something sees it someday and – um, that, that's my ultimate goal is to, you know, maybe get into scouting professionally um, at some point. And that, that's really my main reason for doing it. I, I didn't really do it to make money off it. Just with all the time I had put into it, I figured I might as well, you know, share it with some other people and try to monetize it if I could. But I really did it to hopefully, um, you know, using a job interview at some point. Oh, it's just great, and we'll definitely support you and, and push that out. But uh, let's get into the talk about football, because last time we talked, uh, we didn't really know what would happen in free agency. Uh, looking now at what the Patriots have done, what do you think is the biggest position of need for them? Yeah, well, I think we can cross the secondary or at least cornerback off that list. Uh, <laughs> I think last time we came on, we talked about, you know, if is Darrell Revis, is that like a legitimate possibility? and um, I don't really think any of us took it that seriously. I think we all thought it was probably a long shot, even if they'd have interest. We didn't think it would really happen. Um, the cornerback position right now is as strong as it's ever been for the Patriots. Um, Browner, Revis, Dennard, Logan Ryan, Arrington, I think that you can cross cornerback off the list. And I, safety is still a position to need, but from what I'm hearing, Bill Belichick picked Logan Ryan last year with envisions of moving him to free safety. So I think they would have liked to have done it this year with just injuries and the situations that they were dealing with on the back end didn't allow that. So I think Logan Ryan, at least when Browner's back on the field, will get a chance to see if he's a fit at free safety. Now that doesn't mean they won't possibly add one, but they've used a lot of you know second, third-round picks on safety the last couple of years with horrible results so far. So I think the main needs heading into the draft Defensive line has not been addressed at all in free agency. That's a huge position of need. Um, the number two tight end or the, the tandem tight end with Rob, Gronko Rob Gronkowski is a huge need. The depth at linebacker is that's probably the thinnest position on the roster. If Mayo or Hightower or Collins got hurt, they don't have an NFL quality caliber starting linebacker to back those guys up. And then I think running back, um, they will add a running back at some point in the draft. I'm pretty confident of that. They they really liked having that three- or four-headed tandem that they rotated in last year. 
So I think those are the main needs, and I think, you know, interior offensive line could be addressed later in the draft. They're, they're good at finding these undrafted gems and turning them into starters or deaf players. So I don't think that's a pressing need at the top of the draft. I think defensive line, tight ends, and potentially linebacker will be the first areas that they target. You had uh, on your on your draft when we were on last time, and I don't think you've changed it. So I was I was a little surprised you stuck that long. Dominique Easley is your first pick. Uh, he falls into your your obviously your defensive tackle. So you've stuck with him this long. Um, is there anything new in in you thinking he should be or could be the Pats' first pick? No, I still think he's got a very good chance to be the Patriots' first pick. Um, from what I've been hearing this week, they're really looking hard to find a versatile defensive lineman, somebody that can play in multiple fronts and multiple schemes, whether it's end or nose tackle, one technique, three technique. If you, they have depth on their defensive line right now, but every player on their defensive line it plays a very singular role. They don't have a guy that can move around multiple positions. Will Forks the nose tackle. Tommy Kelly's a three technique. Joe Villano can only play really three techniques. Same with Chris Jones. And Chandler Jones moves inside on some downs, and he he can rush from the inside. Um, but Rob Ninkovich is he's a four three uh, defensive end or stand up at linebacker. He can't move inside. So they really don't have versatility on their defensive line. I think that's something that hurt them a lot last year. It limited what they were able to do with their looks up front and the front seven. So I think that's something that they're looking really hard at early in the draft. And even though Easley's coming off a torn ACL, he is the most versatile defensive lineman in the draft. And if he was fully healthy, which there's no reason why he shouldn't be fully healthy by the time the season rolls around, he'd be a top 15 pick. I think some media outlets have underrated him a little bit. Uh, I know for a fact that a lot of people in the NFL Really, really like him, and to get him at 29, I think that's where they'll have to get him because there's teams in that area um, that like him just as much as maybe the Patriots do. Mike, one of the things that we've seen is the Patriots starting to bring in a lot of the quarterback prospects, uh, whether it be Johnny Manziel or Blake Bortles, Teddy Bridgewater. Are they just doing their due diligence, or are they trying to get more of a feel to possibly trade out of the 29th pick? What's your thought there? Yeah, I think this year more than any, they've looked at more quarterbacks than you know ever before. I, I don't think we can just say they're just doing due diligence because um, they've looked at I think 13 or 14 quarterbacks that we have confirmed. Um, many of them the top rated guys. Really, all the draftable quarterbacks they've taken a hard look at through private workouts or official visits. So I think it's more than due diligence right now. They're in a kind of precarious situation. Ryan Mallett's played to be a free agent after the year. I think it's going to be very tough to trade him for anything of value at this point. He hasn't played one meaningful snap in an NFL game. He's really still a question mark to everybody outside the Patriots organization. So it's going to be tough to trade him. They risk losing him for nothing. So they need to have a you know a young backup um, developed and ready to go for if Mallett leaves, which is likely. So I think... I think they end up using a late-round pick, maybe a sixth or seventh-round pick on a quarterback, um, or similar to a Brian Hoyer, they wait until after the draft and sign the guy that they like best. I think that's a likely scenario. I can't foresee them using a first or second-round pick on the quarterback. Maybe if this was two or three years down the road and we knew Brady had one, two years left. But, you know, Brady's still got at least three high-quality years, probably four years left as a starter. So it's too early to pick the 
the future quarterback of this organization. So I think they're setting it up for if a player slips to them or the guy, they're trying to find a guy in the later rounds that they like that they can develop. Well, you brought up Ryan Mallett, and he, of course, was drafted in the third round a couple of years ago. He's number 74 overall. Uh, most likely to be developed and traded, and, and that hasn't happened. The market hasn't developed. You mentioned that you know, he, he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire. But how much of it is the fact that the new dual-threat quarterback, the Russell Wilsons and Ka- uh, Colin Kaepernick's of the world, have kind of muddied the waters on what his draft stock could be? It seems like people are looking for that uh, you know, dual-threat quarterback instead of the classic stand-up. Yeah, I don't think it's really had really any effect on Ryan Mallett. I just think those dual-threat quarterbacks like Johnny Manziel and Russell Wilson, they've just expanded the scope of the quarterbacks that can play in the NFL. Um, I don't think necessarily his team is looking for, you know, only a running quarterback or only a dual-threat quarterback. I just think there's a lot more. They, what those guys have done is prove that those types of undersized, dual-threat quarterbacks can play and win at the NFL level. I think the team will, if there's a team that needs a quarterback, they'll just take the best quarterback available. I don't think they care if it's a dual threat or whatever. They just need a quarterback. It's the hardest position to find. And if Ryan Mallett had gone out the last couple of years and if Brady had gotten hurt and he started five or six games and put up impressive film, his stock would be infinitely higher regardless if he's a pocket passer. Um, he just hasn't done that. And for the Patriots to use the number 73 pick on him and develop him for three and a half, four years now, um, they need to get something of value back. And really having him as Tom Brady's backup for a year is probably more valuable to them than getting a fifth or sixth round pick, uh, what they get right now for him and trading him. But it is something to watch at the draft. Um, if a team misses out on that last top-tier quarterback and they're stuck uh, with nothing, you know, maybe somebody gets, over-anxious and sends them an offer they like. But it, it will stink after four years if they lose Ryan Mallett and they don't get any starts out of him and they don't get anything in return. I mean, you'd have to look at that as a failed draft pick or you know, a failed plan to come together. Well, you know, looking at the draft this year and, and every year, there are always shifts that happen just before draft day, and the impact of what happens early kind of dictates what players move up, what players move down, how strong your choices are going to be in the draft. What's your opinion on who has climbed the most so far in the draft and who's fallen the most? That's a great question there. Even two weeks out, there's going to be a lot more movement before um, next Thursday night starts. I think the top of the draft really revolves around a couple players. I think Johnny Manziel, wherever Johnny Manziel goes, is going to have a trickle-down effect throughout the entire first and second rounds of the draft. Um, I still think he goes in the top five or six. I think he has elevated himself as much as anybody throughout this process and standing out as the top quarterback. Certainly has passed Bridgewater. He definitely brings more to the table than Blake Bortles at this point. So I think he's the first quarterback on. Um, Mike Evans, his receiver from Texas A&M, has risen big time. It looks like he's going a lot to go in the top ten or right around there right now. Um, his workouts, his combine, he ran faster than most people. So I think he's a, he's helped himself tremendously. Um, you know, it's tough not to say Teddy Bridgewater has hurt himself. I think he's hurt himself in the eyes of draft Twitter and the media. So the vibe I'm getting is that the NFL has just always had him ranked, you know, as an early second round, late first round pick. And it, that that's what happens around this time of the draft is, you know, the, the media's rankings – 
you know, get exposed a little bit as the NFL's rankings become more known. And it looks like there's a disconnect between the two, when in reality the NFL's rankings have been the same all along. Um, so I think Bridgewater, whether he's fallen or not, he's definitely not going to go as high as people once thought he would go. Um, I'd say other guys that have risen, I think Demarcus Lawrence from Boise State, the defensive end, I think he's risen pretty far throughout this draft process. I think he's probably likely to go, you know, late first, early second round. Joel Batonio, uh, the offensive offensive lineman from Nevada, he's risen big time. When he got invited to the Senior Bowl, not many people even know who he was. Um, he could go in the late first round now. I think he's a great prospect. I love him. Um, some teams going to get a very good player at the beginning of the second or end of the first round. I think those guys have risen big time. Um, some other fallers, you know, maybe last time we talked, we were talking about Jay Tomorrow and the, you know, would he even be there for the Patriots? I think it's unlikely he goes in the first round. He probably falls into the second. And then, you know, as I'm looking at my rankings, I think Cody Latimer, uh, the wide receiver from Indiana, he's on fire right now. He's definitely risen. He got a third round grade coming out when he declared for the draft. I think it's likely he goes in the in somewhere in the 20s now. So just off the top of my head, those are guys that have moved up or moved down throughout the last few weeks or months. A couple of other names you had mentioned uh, um, in in your draft analysis, your Mark 5, mm-hmm. were Will Sutton, uh, Cheyenne Scove, and, mm-hmm. and Santriel Henderson as, as having moved down and, and sitting there for a pretty long while on draft day and being surprised. Why would they have moved down so much? Well, Shane Scove, um, he's been injured the last couple of years, and you know news came out this last week or so that he struggled to run in the five under five two at his pro day, and if that's true, as an inside linebacker, if you can't break five two, you can't be drafted. Uh, I think when Brandon Spikes was drafted by Bill Belichick, he became the first linebacker in the first four, three or four rounds that had run at forty over five seconds. Adding two tenths of a second to that as a linebacker, that's a tremendous red flag. If that's true that he struggled to break five two. I mean, he can probably forget about being drafted, and no team will take him with the injury risk, no matter how, you know, talented or inspirational of a player he is. Chantrell Henderson, he just doesn't care about football. He's bar bar none the most talented player physically, you know, God-given talent in this draft besides probably Jadavion Clowney. Um, He has got this God-given frame. Seeing him weighing at the senior bowl, he is – the picture-perfect left tackle or NFL offensive tackle prospect. He just has never bought into the game of football. His effort level terrible. He gave up reportedly at his pro day. Um, very inconsistent. He's just never fully dedicated himself to the game. He can be as good as he wants to be, and it's not its not too late yet. If he gets in the right system and fully commits, he could be one of the best players to come out of this draft, but incredibly risky um, player. And who was the other one? Oh, Will um... Yeah, Will Sutton. Will Sutton had a terrible senior season. He, he gained a ton of weight. He probably gained 50 pounds in his senior season. It really affected his play. Um, he's been out of shape throughout most of the process. He's very undersized. He, his weight's just fluctuated everywhere. He played his junior season, I think, around 270 pounds. He played his senior season, I, well, at the senior bowl, he weighed in at 315 pounds, I think. Um, and he's been very underwhelming through the combine, pro day, workouts. So he's somebody that, you know, a lot of people in draft Twitter and in the media really like him and have been hyping him hard. But, you know, from what I've heard, he's going to have trouble getting drafted in the first four rounds. 
you know, a lot of people call this a, a, a somewhat deep draft. However, when I'm looking at it, I'm looking at a short supply of pass rushers after uh, Clowney and Mack. Where can we find a solid mm-hmm. pass rusher outside of those top two? Yeah, I think that's the one position that it's really tough to find high-quality talent after the top tier. Um, just looking at it, there's a huge drop-off after Clowney to get to Mack, and there's another huge drop-off. Um, most of the guys that are pass rushers are, you know, tweeners. Are they going to be linebackers? Are they going to be defensive ends? There's Traditionally, the Patriots like their defensive ends, you know, 6'5", 270 in the Chandler Jones mold. If they're looking to get one of those guys in the first two rounds, they're going to have to break the mold because, you know, they don't really exist. I guess Coney Ely is probably measurable-wise a decent fit, but uh, he's a little bit of a project, a, kind of a tweener. He rushes inside, outside, he can stand up, but he he didn't time very well. Um, Demarcus Lawrence, he's a little undersized for what the Patriots like. He's about 6'3". I think you can add probably 15 pounds to his frame. Um Scott Crichton from Oregon State, he's another guy, not necessarily a bender, struggles to uh, – he has to win by going through people. He's not going to win with speed or explosion off the edge. So, you know, after that top tier, it's, you're going to have to strike gold. You're going to have to take a risk and hope that they hit because there's definitely no sure thing after that. I think Clowney and Mack, by far the top two tiers. Then you get into the Ely, Demarcus Lawrence, Scott Crichton – that tier of players, and then you're looking at guys like Chris Smith from Arkansas, um, Aaron Lynch, who's you know very risky, or you can try to take a, a bigger defensive tackle and get pass rush from them, which I think would be a little bit of the plan with Demarcus Easley or um, Dominique Easley is get some pressure from the inside um, with a defensive tackle. So there's not many pass rushers in this draft. It's probably the weakest position um, depth wise. And teams are going to be battling at the top of the draft to get that top-tier pass rusher. All right, here's where you earn your spurs, Mike. Every year, BB surprises all of us. And as a player, he picks somewhere early, not necessarily first round, but second or third round, that everybody turns around and goes, wait a minute, he's not even on the draft board of anyone. So this year... We're looking for your scoop here. Who's going to be the sleeper the Pats may have interest in that no one's really talking about? <laughs> I wish I knew. I wish I could prepare myself for that because every year I might, it seems like I'm disappointed um, when the name comes out. I mean, the, the Tavon Wilson pick, there is no explanation to pick him where he was. Daron Harmon hasn't been as bad as Wilson, but still, that it was a major reach. You know, I, I think... You know, I know they like the Texas offensive lineman, Trey Hopkins and uh, Donald Hawkins, but I, I don't think they'd reach for them in the, the second or third round. For the Patriots to reach this year, they'd have to really, really like the player because there is a lot of depth through the fourth and fifth round. For them to go that far off the draft board, it'll be a major surprise this year because I think there's going to be players at each one of their first you know, four or five picks where they can get value, and I think that's what their draft's all about is value. I think last year the board fell apart from them a little bit, and they, you know, were forced to take Harmon a little bit earlier than they'd like. Um, but you know, if I was taking a guess, I would just say maybe the tech, those Texas offensive linemen or a running back like Marion Grice, maybe they take him earlier than expected. Um, I think they kind of like him too. Jeff just did backflips <laughs> on, on the last comment. <laughs> uh, I actually personally, I mean, I guess. 
you know, and, and as Bob says, the rest of the world knows it by now. My love for running backs is, as our last time we talked about, uh, J.C. Copeland out of uh, LSU, the fullback. Um, but in watching tape on him, I, I really developed a new man crush on Jeremy Hill. Mm-hmm. What do you think he fits in with the Patriots? I know he's got some issues with, uh, you know, past issues, but uh, I think he's a great fit. Your thoughts? Yeah, I love Jeremy Hill. I think I have him ranked number two. He is my number two ranked running back. I think he's one of the most NFL-ready running backs. Um, you know, he is a different type of running back from Stephen Ridley, but coming out, coming from the same pro-style offense, um, they run a lot of NFL-style plays. He has an NFL-style body. He's a very good pass catcher for his size, um, more agile than, you know, his size would really indicate. He ran pretty well at his pro day. Um, I'm fine with him running in the four sixes at 235 pounds or whatever he's going to play at, close to 240 maybe. Um, I think he's got a tremendous amount of upside. Uh, I think he can run. I think I wrote my scouting report that he can win in different ways. He can be a power back when he needs to, but he can also, you know, make people miss and make cuts behind the line. So I think he's a versatile runner that can probably develop into an every down running back. I think that they're going to take a running back early in the draft think he's somebody that they'll definitely have interest in as long as his um, character checks out all right. Mike, you mentioned something on on your comments under your mock your last mock draft. You, you used the term the power of the hoodie. One of the things we always hear, anyone that visits the Patriots, the whole world knows about it. And you gave the reason why, and it was real interesting. I hadn't thought of it. You want to explain what to our listeners what you mean when you say the power yeah. of the hoodie? Yeah, definitely, and this is something, you know, I was thinking about over the last couple of weeks is how come every time um, a prospect's name gets mentioned or a visit gets mentioned, the Patriots are automatically the team thrown out. Every time a prospect visits to the Patriots, it seems like their name gets leaked out, and we know that it doesn't come from the Patriots because, believe me, they tell these prospects, if you ask the prospect if they visit with the Patriots, they're literally scared to tell you if they've worked out because the Patriots keep them under lock and key. So what happens is, the agents, the minute a prospect works out with the Patriots, and the agents are the ones leaking it to the press. Every agent wants their player mentioned in connection with the Patriots because if Bill Belichick has interest in this player, then you know we must be missing something. If the Bill Belichick likes this guy, then he must be pretty good. What are we missing? Just being mentioned with the Patriots and Bill Belichick in general generates a lot of hype. I mean, just look at the Johnny Manziel thing. He got mentioned with the Patriots. And it blew up on the national stage for three or four days. I mean, people are still writing articles about it. Um, that doesn't happen with the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Oakland Raiders or the Cleveland Browns. But even if you're a seventh-round player and you get your name mentioned with the Patriots, that is great publicity. It helps your stock a ton. And that's just the cachet that Bill Belichick's built up. He can help or hurt a draft prospect hugely just by being mentioned in the same sentence as him. Now, Mike, um, across the Twitter sphere, it's, it seems a lot of New England Patriots fans think that the Patriots should, you know, go all in and get a, uh, you know, a Mike Evans or a Calvin Benjamin or or uh, even trade up as high as and, and get a Sammy Watkins. With the Aaron Dobson injury, how likely do you think that the Patriots would target a um, wide receiver in the first or second round? I think it's pretty unlikely unless one of those top guys ball to them, you know, at pick 29. This draft is just so deep with wide receiver. I mean, we're going to be talking about guys in the third and fourth round 
that last year probably go in the second, even maybe into the first round. Just looking at my rankings right now, I just don't think, you know, Sammy Watkins is in that level by himself, and you have Mike Evans. You know, I like Marquise Lee, Odell Beckham. Those are my top four. After that, I think you can make the argument from, you know, five to, let me look at my rankings, 18 or 19, those guys are very, very similar, and they're all not going to go in the second round at the end of the first round. Those guys are going to drop throughout day two and some into day four. I think it makes no sense to trade up for a wide receiver this year because the talent level is pretty linear from the end of the first round to the fourth round, and the Patriots don't operate trading up for wide receivers. They just don't do it. Bill Belichick is not taking a receiver in the first round as long as he's been here with the Patriots. Really, the only example of him trading up for a receiver that I can remember is Chad Jackson, and we all know how that works out. Um, I just do not see him doing it. The price to go up and get Sammy Watkins from pick 29, you're talking about the entire draft this year or just about next year's first and probably a roster player. It's not going to happen. Bill Belichick doesn't operate that way. Um, Maybe he trades up into the top of the 20s like he did for Chandler Jones when they love a player. They could do that this year. but they're not going to trade up for a wide receiver. One of the things I'm seeing and hearing a lot of hype about, and it's a player we haven't about here, Mike. In fact, last week we had Daniel Jeremiah on our, our show, and he was picking uh, the X-Men, Xavier Suafilo, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. what are your thoughts on him? We haven't talked about him at all. Oh, I, I love Xavier Suafilo. I've had him ranked very highly, you know, since he was a, really, I, I, he caught my eye when he was playing left tackle as a freshman. He took two years off for his Mormon mission and then came back and moved to guard at UCLA. I think he is the best offensive guard in this draft by far. He he combines athleticism and power. Um, he ran under a five flat in the 40. He can move. He can get to the second level. He can pull. And he's a very powerful, naturally powerful player that you watch film on him, and he can put you on your back quickly. He has got a tremendous ceiling. Um, I think he's a top 20, 25 player easily in this draft, and some teams going to get a long time starting guard. Um, I, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't become a pro bowler. In fact, I think, I'm super high on him. I think he's a great kid. Um, everything I've heard last year when I was down at the Senior Bowl, I heard – from two defensive linemen that went in the first round last year, that Suofilo was the best offensive lineman that they had ever faced. Um, I just hear good things about him constantly. I think he's a stud. Could he fall to the Patriots? I I think he's going to go in that area. Um, You know, it's tough to say. Guards usually slip in the draft. I know where I would pick him. I think it's possible, yeah, he's there at pick 29 just because there's going to be a lot of skill position players that – end up getting pushed up the draft. Probably five or six receivers go before the Patriots. Um, definitely two quarterbacks will go. Maybe as many as four quarterbacks will go before the Patriots. Um, that And a ton of offensive tackles. You know, we're talking four, maybe five offensive tackles. So that's going to push some players down to the Patriots for sure, and I think Stuart Field could be one of those guys. Now, will the Patriots pick an offensive guard in the first round? You know, that's a whole other conversation. I'm not sure if they would do it. Um, I think they value, you know, getting steals and developing these guards in the late round. So it'd definitely be out of character. 
people point to Logan Mankins, but Mankins played left tackle coming out of Fresno. And I, Bill Belichick has said this past year that they picked Mankins with intentions of him being a tackle. But once they tried him at guard, they just couldn't they couldn't move him out of there. So mm. it'd be uncharacteristic, but I, I would love the pick if they did it. I think it'd be a lockdown, plug-and-play guard for the next 10, 12 years. That would make me extremely happy. I love offensive linemen. I love defensive linemen. Mike, we have uh, one of our dedicated callers and listeners of the show, Mad Dog, on the line. He'd actually like to ask you a question if you don't mind. Sure. You're on, Mad Dog. Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, Mike, Mike, it's a, it's a great honor to um, talk to you. You certainly do a great job in, in draft coverage. And um, I just had a quick question for, for you today. Um, and... This is pretty weird because I never ask about North Carolina guys because I'm a dookie. But um, Eric Ebron, who who I'm pretty sure that you're very familiar with, um, is one of the more sought-after tight ends in this draft. And there's been some rumblings that the Patriots may may be interested um, in him. And um, my question for you is, it's actually a two-part question, would the Patriots consider tra- trading up for, for for him? And if so, is it really possible for for the Patriots to trade up for him, or or is it going to go too 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 high in the draft? Since, since I have seen some boards of him going in the in the top ten, um, thank you for um, letting me ask my question, and um, and you, and you guys have a good day. Yeah, no problem. Um, I'm sure the Patriots are interested in Ebron. I know people in the front office, you know, think he's a freak, but it's going to be very, very unlikely that they could even, you know, sniff Eric Ebron. You look at the, how the draft board's set up. You got teams like Buffalo picking nine, who needs a tight end desperately. You know, really every team from number nine to number twenty, you could plug, plug Eric Ebron in the mock draft, and you know, not think twice about him going there. The only way I can see them, you know, even thinking about making a move is if he flipped. Around pick twenty or twenty one, and they you know really don't want to risk out and losing or going to the next year of tight end. They'd have to really you know think that this kid's the next coming to trade you know at least ten picks up. That's going to cost a second round pick and probably at least a fourth round pick to go up and get Ebron. I, I just don't think he's going to be around anywhere near pick twenty. So. I'm sure they love. I'm sure they're interested. I know for a fact that people in the front office love him, but it's just not realistic to think that they have a legitimate shot at him, unless the draft board and the draft gets really wacky, and you know quarterbacks are going left and right, and offensive tackles are going everywhere. There's just too many fits from pick nine to pick twenty where he's going to be highly sought after. So I'd be very surprised. My final question for you, Mike, because I, I know you, we appreciate all the time you're spending with us on this Sunday. There's a couple of Notre Dame linemen that, that both Jeff and I are pretty high on, uh, Truett and, and Nix. What are your thoughts mm-hmm. on them, and are there any likelihood of them becoming Patriot players? Yeah, I think, I mean, Nix, I'm very high on Nix. I have him ranked, I think, 11th or 12th in my draft guide. Um, he's fallen down the draft bar here the last year. If he had come out after his uh, sophomore season, a redshirt sophomore season, um, you know he's probably. If he came out last year, he's probably a top fifteen, twenty pick easily, without without a doubt. Um, injury plagued him, plagued him this last season. Um, there's a very good possibility he could flip all the way to twenty nine. Players like him are very rare. He's a pure nose tackle, 
but he's kind of in the Will Fork mold where he's a good athlete. He doesn't necessarily have to come off the field in passing situations. He can play in all downs. I love him. I think he's going to be a long-term, you know, starting nose tackle, a high-quality one in the league. Whether the Patriots off the pick and nose tackle or look for the more versatile player, I mean, to be seen. Maybe if Easley and the other defensive tackles are gone or whoever the Patriots are going to pick are gone, maybe they opt for him. And then Tua's an interesting case. He himself has fallen due to injuries this past season. Um, he's a little bit of a different case because, you know, his best position is probably five technique. Um, he can rush off the edge. He can rush from the inside. You know, I love his size, six foot five, 305, 310 pounds, but a pretty good athlete for that size. I think there's a good chance that – there's a very good chance at least one of those guys is there, and likely both guys will be there. And maybe Nick's goes a little bit ahead of it, but you're going to get a shot at one of those guys, and it remains to be seen if they pick them. I haven't really heard of them too much with either guy, but Bill Belichick is very tied into the Notre Dame program with Brian Kelly, um, so I'm sure he you knows he's done his homework on all those guys. And it'll be interesting to see. I'd be very happy with Nick if they came away with Lewis Nix in the first round. You know, I'd be doing cartwheels to it. I'd be fine with. I would just be curious to see how they'd use them. Well, Notre Dame could be the new Rutgers with the uh, with the way that uh, Brian Kelly and and Bill Belichick get along. My final question for you is: uh, it revolves around the tight end. We all know the the top four or even five with uh, C.J. Fedorowitz out of uh, out of Iowa um, being the top really five tight ends. But moving later in the draft, there's a guy, a, a local prospect, uh, and his name's Rob Blanchflower out of Massachusetts that. I think he could be a, a steal in the sixth or seventh round. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, it's a tough evaluation for Blanche Flower because I came into the year pretty interested, pretty high on him based on his junior season. I was interested to see if he could build on it his senior year. Really, you have to throw out his senior year. He played sparingly. He didn't practice at all during the year. He has not been able to work out to this point. He's battled... Um, I think he's had double hernia surgery. He's had at least one hernia surgery, and he's been just crippled by it throughout this draft process. So I think he's someone, you know, it's a tough evaluation. He has the size, and he's a big body, you know, profiles as an inline tight end. Um, he can stretch the seam. He had some good production in a terrible UMass offense. Um, it's a tough evaluation. I, I think even himself said at the combine that he's, quote-unquote, hopefully can still get drafted. You know, and that really raised my eyes thinking that, you know, this guy might fall out of the draft and go undrafted. But if he goes undrafted or the Patriots have him pick a tight end by the seventh round, you know, he's somebody to definitely take a look at. Um, he's got a good size and catch radius, but the injuries are very worrisome. Well, Mike, I'd like to thank you for joining CLS Radio's Patriots Beat. We'd love to have you back on after the draft to, to evaluate uh, what the NFL and what the New England Patriots did. Absolutely. I love being on with you guys. Thanks, Mike. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. Take care. Yep, we'll see you later. Well, that, of course, was uh, Mike Loiko of NEPatriotsDraft.com, and we uh, he was brought to you today by the Bruins postgame show, the CLNS Radio Bruins postgame show, live after every playoff game for the rest of the playoff run, and hopefully it's a long cup run for the uh, the Boston Bruins, and uh, we'll see how things go. But great insight, as always, by our good friend Mike Loiko. What did you think there, Bob? Well, I mean, this this obviously there are people that, that really know the draft. In the last two weeks, we've had two of the best 
um, and Daniel Jeremiah and now Mike Loiko. And, you know, it's it'll be interesting to see because the, no one ever knows what the Patriots are going to do. You know, one of the things I, I want to mention real quickly, we and we talked a little bit about this with Mike, how much – Belichick likes that that extra value pick, the, the the chance to trade down into the next year for more draft choices. Now I'm I'm seeing a lot of people, Mike, uh, Mad Dog Mike, not Mike Loiko. I know is real anxious for them to try and move up in the draft, and that was kind of obvious from from his comment uh, when he called in. But last year. People were saying the same thing because they were thinking wide receiver. There were still some good wide receivers on the board, and people were really disappointed when the Patriots traded down into the second round. But, guys, they came out pretty good by making that move. Sure, they lost a, a wide receiver who definitely would have been an asset to them, uh, but they, they, they ended up with Jamie Collins in the second round. Uh, Logan Ryan in the third, Josh Boyce in the fourth, and then the seventh round, they actually traded that one to Tampa and ended up with LeGarrette, uh, LeGarrette Blunt. 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 I'll yeah. get it straight yet. <laughs> with, but, all the, uh, with all the injuries to the team last year, without that trade, they don't make it to the AFC Championship game. I'm certain upon that. Yeah. One thing one thing I tell you, though, that I, in, a, in kind of a joking way that I wanted to ask Mike, is uh, there's a wide receiver out of uh, uh, San Jose State, and his name is Chandler Jones. I just want to see the Patriots draft <laughs> him just to see what they have to do with the uniform to pick up, pick them out between each other. <laughs> they, they'll put like a, a, a Roman numeral behind it. It'll be kind of like the Super Bowl. Chandler Jones IV or something like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, we let uh, we let Mad Dog come in and ask a question to uh, Mike Loiko, but he uh, he actually wanted to talk to us about the NFL schedule. So we're going to bring Mad Dog back right on. What's going on, my friend? Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, uh, obviously, a great a great guest there, and um, and we'll see and we'll see what happens with the draft, and we'll see if there's if there if there's any trades made. It's been sort of weird because a couple of years ago the Patriots traded up with their two picks, and last year they. They they traded down and um, some years it's worked for them trading down and other year years like 2009 it's really it's really killed them tra- trading down but um, the, as far as being kill, killing them missing out on on impact players um, that could have really really have helped them um, but um, I, I just wanted to go over the schedule and what I, I initially thought and, the, and I'll make this quick. I looked at it when it when it first came came out, and I think that this is as really as good as you could have 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 drawn it up. I understand the first three or four are on the road. They should be able to beat Miami. They they should. If this is a team that is as good as we think that they are, they should be able to beat Miami. They should be able to easily beat Minnesota. I don't see anything with that Minnesota team. I really don't. Um, other than Adrian Peterson, they sh- they should be able to really like go through this schedule. Um, I'm saying I'm saying a 13-3 three year. There there are those three games that that I think that they do lose. But um, I I also look at the stretch of the of the um, San Diego and Green Bay back to back on the road. That's not going to be easy. But I like them to to be able to go undefeated at home. I like them to be the one seed in the AFC, barring barring any any major injuries, and and um and we'll certainly see see what happens. But um, 
I really, I really like the way that the schedule is is outlined because I think that it could have been a lot worse than it than it than it was. I thought that there could have been a lot of um, um, tough road, road games back to back in several types of, of situations. There's really not other than the Green Bay and, and San Diego, and I think that this team, um, in the way that the schedule is is put forth, especially the first four four weeks without Browner. Um, is it was was quite a gift that the schedule makers made us. But um, I'll listen to that and and you guys um, an, another another great show. And Jeff, um, it's it's on to the Habs um, next week. So I'm looking forward to hearing you on on the post game show. And uh, and thanks, um, man, have a good day, guys. Thanks, man. Thanks. You well, want to jump in, or you want yeah, me to? Yeah, we, we can. I guess we can jump in there because Mad Dog comes out with a thirteen and a three uh, a finish for the Patriots, and and instead of going, you know, game by game, because you know it's <laughs> we're not we're not quite there yet. You know, you take a quick look at it, you say, oh, how are they going to do, and this and that. Um, I came out with an eleven and five season this year, and I think they got some tough uh, tough matchups. Um, I do think the first four weeks uh, help. Like I said at the beginning of the show, uh, without having Brandon Browner, but I feel that they uh, they lose to Kansas City uh, is is one of my losses that they have there. Um, I think that they uh, they lose at Indianapolis, they lose at Green Bay. Um, I think they lose at Denver at home, and and I think that they lose the uh, the the Jets game in Week 16. We're pretty close together on that. I I actually went 12 and four, with my losses being Kansas City, which you picked, Denver, which you picked. Um, Green Bay at Green Bay. I think that's a, a Green Bay is a tough team. Yes, it is. They uh, definitely are. And then the Jets. So I, I've got them winning one more than you do, but I couldn't argue with that. And I hate to pick this early, only because it's a guess. It's a flip of the coin. I mean, there's certain games you know they should win, but until after preseason, when everything is shaken down and you know who's playing where and and whether injuries again are impacting them, it's really just a guess at this stage, Jeff. It, 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 to pick the schedule and say, "Hey, this is de-, and everybody does it. This is a twelve and four or an eleven five team." You know that that's normal for the Patriots, and I'm comfortable they can do it. But I really am not sure of any of these picks. So please don't go out and. And take the family's life savings and go buy my picks at this stage of the season. Well, it's definitely time for uh, we're running out of time here, so it's definitely time for rapid fire as we kind of go through the things that we had on each other's mind over the uh, over the week. Uh, I'm going to start first with expanding the uh, the playoffs, good or bad. Please, please, NFL, do not expand the playoffs. It, it I, I could not deny this more vehemently than I do. I think it's the worst idea that they have ever had since having Roger Goodell be the commissioner. Roger Goodell is a lawyer and he wants to make money. By expanding the playoffs, he can put a little more money in his pocket. And I don't believe in much that anything that Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, has to say, but he is 100% right when he comes out and says the, uh, the NFL will reach its saturation point. If they add two more teams into the playoffs it is absolutely it's just, it's just going to be horrible they're going to have one team having a bye and then you know two through seven going up against that and i mean just i mean it's just ridiculous the fact that they 
that they think that this is a good idea. I mean, if you look at the seventh seed in, in the playoffs from 2002 to 2013 when they went to this uh, eight divisions, the seventh seed in the AFC would be 9-7, and 10-6, 9-7, 10-6, 9-7, 10-6, 11-5. The Patriots missed the playoffs that year. 9-7, and 9-7, 9-7, 8-8, 8-8, 8-8. In the NFC, you're 9-7, 9-7, 8-8, 9-7, 8-8, 8-8, 9-7, 9-7, 10-6, 8-8, 10-6, 10-6. Tell me why a 500 team should be making the playoffs. Just tell me, Bob. I'm going to go in a different direction, not on that. My gripe is, you know, how can you possibly look at a draft at this stage uh, and, and be looking at who will go where? My gripe, it's a statement. But one of the things I do like, and, and it was mentioned quickly by Mike, there's a lot of quarterbacks out this year, so if Atlet isn't going to be the guy, I think it looks like a good year for the Patriots at seeking out that developmental quarterback late in in the draft. So I've, my point is going to be that the Pats, I think, can get a quarterback, can get him late in the draft, and still come up with a good developmental quarterback behind uh, Brady. I couldn't agree with you more there. I mean, they've. They could even draft Chase Reddick out of Boston College and develop him. Uh, there's a plenty of uh, good quarterbacks there. Um, Loiko, I mentioned it earlier today about the fact that they had envisioned moving Logan Ryan's to free safety. Um, I am 50-50 on this shot here. I like Logan Ryan a lot as a cornerback, but having uh, Darrell Revis and, uh, and Brandon Brown along with uh, Denard and – uh, the other Harrington, because I can't stand the guy, <laughs> having him above them on on the on the spot, it might be a good idea to move him to free safety or and, and see what he can do. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I agree with you. I, you know, I'm Patrick. If he's listening in, and I know we won't get him back on the line at the earlier in the show, was saying that McCourty is the greatest, you know, free safety and allowing him to do all those things that he does, and that kind of puts him in that other role. But I, I agree. I think. Uh, uh, I, I kind of like the idea of moving McCourty over there. One thing I'm going to mention, another another point is I, the signing of, of Rams and Redskins linebacker Josh Hill didn't get much news and really is not a big move as far as I'm concerned. However, the loss of Dane Fletcher makes it more practical uh, for the Penn State guy because he, you know, that, that's a role he fills well. So don't overlook that he could possibly make the team, even though uh, he's not a name we all had listed anywhere. Oh, you know, I will say one thing. Uh, Scott Baines, our new CLS uh, Patriots beat uh, writer, uh, he, he uh, put up a little thing on him this week. Um, you know, of course, he, Hull is, um, you know, he was the special teams leader in tackles last year. We know how Belichick loves special teams. Belichick, of course, was a special teams uh, coach for the, uh, for the Denver Broncos, Special teams, he always talks about all three phases of the games, and having a guy like this come in is a great, you know, is a great thing. It's a backup linebacker who has to play special teams. I love it. Final thing, Bob, Bill Belichick running a half a marathon. Well, and he did it in two minutes and thirty or two minutes. <laughs> two minutes. <laughs> what a runner! I told you he was a miracle maker. Two hours, thirty-six minutes and forty-six seconds. But if you saw the pictures. He was in rough shape by the end, and he was next to um, Linda. What is it, Hamilton or she? Linda Holloway. Holloway, yeah. She looked refreshed and ready to keep running. <laughs> and poor Bill, it looked like he was on his last gasp. I've got to say. Oh, there we go. Well, thank you everyone for listening to CLS Radio's Patriots Beat. Of course, follow us on Twitter at Patriots Beat. 
at CLNS Radio or on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash CLNS fans. Join us next Sunday at 1 as Bob and I will continue talking the New England Patriots and the draft. Of course, you'll find me this week hitting things up with the uh, Boston Bruins postgame show. Find me on Twitter, at BostonFatGuy. Find Bob, Bob, at Snowden Bob. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great week, everyone. Internet Sports Talk Radio. DLNS Radio.